Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. Today's webinar is supported by Novartis. We appreciate their support. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. Thank you for joining us today. We have a really important topic that we will be discussing. And today we're going to talk about diabetes and cardiovascular disease, focusing on sex and gender considerations. Um, we know that heart disease is the number one killer of women worldwide and the leading cause of premature death in women in Canada. Yet globally, although cardiovascular disease affects one out of three women, women are understudied, underdiagnosed, undertreated, and under aware of their risk of cardiovascular disease. And this is particularly important in people who have type 2 diabetes, as we know the very strong connection between diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So today we're fortunate to have Dr. Nasli Parast, who is a scientist and advanced practice nurse at the Women's Heart Health and Hypertension Clinic. She is certified as a diabetes educator with extended background in cardiology and research. She obtained her doctorate degree in education with focus on diabetes health literacy and education. She has been a diabetes and heart failure clinical consultant providing support to physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers. Her research interest is in improving healthcare providers' knowledge and assessment of women's heart health, as well as improving diabetes management in women with respect to hormonal changes during their lifespan. Welcome, Nasli. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here and share uh, some of the information that I know with, with the audience. Wonderful. Now, Gail, I think this is definitely something that we appreciate all the time in clinic. I know that women often present with cardiovascular symptoms that might not be recognized as many times we're thinking about that classical presentation in men and, and their presentation might be a little bit different. So Gail, is this something that you've noticed as well? Very often, Sarah. So thank you, Nasley, for being here and bringing this to our attention and discussing this. Um, when I think about cardiovascular disease and how women with diabetes are affected, I always think of one particular patient, Sonia, that's not a real name, but she's a real person. Um, she was 63 years old and she's had diabetes for 30 years and she recently developed congested heart failure. But when she initially went to her physician with her symptoms, his response was she felt somewhat dismissive. And he said, uh, we've had diabetes for so many years, so... And so Sonia came back to me and she said, you know, I really felt he wasn't taking my symptoms seriously. And she wondered if he would treat a male the same way. I, she was just thinking that, and you know, I've heard similar stories from my other patients. And as Sarah was saying, the statistics are alarming regarding diabetes in women with cardiovascular disease, how it presents and how their symptoms are different than men. But is everybody aware of that? And as an educator, Nasli, I hope today that you can give me some insight how to do a better job at advocating for women with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So thank you so very much for joining us. For sure. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you for the great um, example or um, good story that you shared with us. 
So this is definitely a common refrain that we hear in clinic. We'll have women who have presented multiple times to hospital with symptoms that are suggestive of cardiovascular disease, but it's attributed to non-cardiovascular etiologies until eventually someone connects the pieces. Um, Nasli, how is women's heart health different and, and how does this interact with diabetes? Um, yeah, so um, heart attack symptoms are usually uh, different or they present differently in women uh, in a way that women are more likely to present with three or more symptoms in addition to their chest pains. Uh, they, they usually talk about uh, chest pain or some sort of a pressure. They don't necessarily might na name it as or label it as a chest pain. Uh, they might say the chest pressure or discomfort or some sort of a burning sensation. Um, and then uh, they usually also describe if they're, that they are uh, tired, weak, or they have shortness of breath, um, abdominal discomfort, um, or um, jaw pain, uh, back, shoulder, or up, uh, right arm pain, um, racing, or even heart uh, heart rate or palpitations, nausea, trouble sleeping, um, and uh, abnormal excessive sweating. So they usually present more than just uh, one um, symptom. So that's why it's so important for us as a healthcare provider to hear those details and um, actually allow them to explain that, explain that, and you need to explore that further and um, let them to um, provide you with more details. So we should definitely have a high suspicion of cardiovascular disease in our women who have type 2 diabetes. And um, certainly if they present with symptoms that might not be classic, um, but are suspicious, we need to explore that further and, and make sure that we do those appropriate investigations. Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed that we also under-recognize is that there's a lot of clues in the women's past history as well to their increased risk of cardiovascular disease, particularly complications in pregnancy. If women have hypertensive disorders in pregnancy, or even we see a lot of gestational diabetes in pregnancy, um, do you find that these clues are sometimes not, not uh, appreciated? For sure. Um, I feel like, the first of all, the women are not um, being given the opportunity to um, talk about it um, because these are not information that are being asked by the um, healthcare providers. Um, so um, for giving that clue or that opportunity for um, women to explain what they have gone through during pregnancy uh, will give all of us a lot of clues on um, how that uh, is impacting their health. So as you mentioned, the hypertension disorders of pregnancy and gestational diabetes, um, they increase the risk of uh, women's heart disease drastically. Um, having a, a premature baby or um, uh, having miscarriages um, or um, having history of um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, and I can go, the list goes on and on. So they could all actually uh, increase risk of um, heart disease uh, for women. So I think we've looked at this question of underdiagnosis and under recognition. What about the question of under treatment? I think we know that women who present with cardiovascular disease have worse outcomes than men who have a similar presentation. That is very true. Uh, women present to the emergency room, as uh, Gail mentioned, um, when they go to the healthcare providers, they might get dismissed. And, and that is a, a common um, common thing. So what can we do as healthcare provider is by empowering our um, 
our clients. So knowing, empowering them by listening to them, by um, also um, advocating for them. And those are the things that, um, and educating them along the way so they actually uh, can advocate for themselves. Now, let's imagine a woman has been appropriately diagnosed uh, with cardiovascular disease, and they also have type 2 diabetes. How can healthcare providers further support those patients who are living with both conditions? A few things that healthcare providers can do uh, in order to um, help the uh, clients living with uh, diabetes by making sure that they are on the uh, appropriate medications that uh, not just manage their diabetes, but also keeping in mind their cardiovascular um, risks um, and educating them on why they're being on these medications um, and trying to make sure that they're having a collaborative approach to that, um, as well as um, approaching their uh, glycemia management uh, in a way that they actually keep in mind the lifespan of women um, and thinking about the hormonal changes, the impact of hormonal changes in uh, women's, uh, women's diabetes uh, and explaining that, uh, communicating that with uh, their clients. So that is an important uh, part because uh, this the woman is living with diabetes for their uh, for a lifetime. So they have to um, learn about that and they should be able to as well advocate for themselves. And there are resources out there that they can um, reach out and uh, further learn. And as healthcare providers, we also uh, are hoping that we can take part in in research and uh, further learning uh, about on the new developments, because uh, as we know, when women go through the um, menopausal stage, their um, blood sugars start to increase. Um, but for someone who is not on insulin, uh, there's just little, little um, management we can do if um, it is a short-lived um, elevation in blood sugar. And I think in that situation, kind of non-pharmacologic interventions would be really critical. I think we know that post-menopause, there are many kind of metabolic changes that occur in women and often focusing on diet and lifestyle modification um, can help with glycemic control in that period of time, as well as reducing cardiovascular risk. These things really go hand in hand, focusing on healthy diet and regular exercise um, to really reduce the risk or manage both conditions. So definitely important to look at that whole person and address kind of the pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic strategies in that situation. Um, you know, it's definitely a complicated area. What resources are available to healthcare providers um, to help to learn more about this issue or even to flag for our patients if they want to become more engaged? Um, for sure, there is a resource called a guide for women's heart health. Um, so if you just type in a guide for women's heart health, University of Ottawa Heart Institute, and uh, that is a um, complete guide that can provide information to, um, to clients and also to healthcare providers. It will be accessible how, um, at any point. And also, uh, there are uh, courses and um, there are nine modules actually uh, in the Women's Heart Health uh, Alliance website uh, that um, healthcare providers can register. It's free. Uh, you can they can register. They can learn uh, more about it and they can also obtain certificates. 
we also have a staff education day, uh, which is the same day as February 13th, where Red Canada Day. Um, it um, We had that, um, it's an annual event. We had it last year and it was perceived really well. Um, it's a hybrid event, so anyone can, from anywhere in Canada can join um, and learn more about women's heart health. That's great. And so I think definitely if you want to learn more about this topic, you can go to wearredcanada.ca and engage in the information they have online. There's lots of resources out there available for both healthcare providers and for women who want to take uh, control of their own cardiovascular health. So it's such an important topic to recognize. And, and Gail, any thoughts here that you think you can take back to clinic to help to support those women in kind of empowering themselves and reducing their heart risk? Quite a few, Sarah. And thank you, Natalie, for all your input. So the first thing I heard you say is, is knowing your patient and looking for those clues. As you say, there's clues in the past, you know, about the GDM and hypertension and about the PCOS and other ones that you mentioned. So knowing your patient that they're underdiagnosed and undertreated, okay? So again, educating the patient and actually following the patient. And one of the things you said very clearly is listen too. And I find that, you know, we tend to over, we keep on running unless it's obvious to us. So be aware of how they're presenting a little bit differently. And the interesting thing is, yes, we have so many of those medications now that have cardiovascular benefits, and we should definitely be thinking of those with our patients. And the hormonal changes, yes, as they go through, are we expecting, is this cardiac, is this not? But listening and supporting and educating, I think is so, so important, a huge role for the educator here. And thank you for the resources. That course is Sounds fascinating because as educators, we're dealing with chronic disease. We can no longer be glucose centric. We have to look at, as Sarah said, the whole person. So thank you. I think I might take a look at that course. Okay. But uh, thank you so much, Natalie, for drawing attention to this. And I'm so glad to hear that I'm not alone in this scenario. Advocate, advocate, advocate. I heard that loud and clear. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Nasli, for bringing this very important topic to our attention. Thank you very much for having me. For those of you who want more information on this topic, there is a webinar available on the Diabetes Canada website. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast. 